Mac Power Users, Episode 35, Listener Feedback. Hello, everyone. It's David Sparks. Along with me is my fellow Mac Power user, Katie Floyd. How are you tonight, Katie? I'm doing great, David. Looking forward to this new Q&A show format. Yeah, since we started the Mac Power Users, we've been inundated with just great feedback from smart listeners, and we haven't been able to keep up with it all. So we thought once in a while we'll just take a break and try and catch up with some of the more interesting feedback that hasn't made it onto the show yet. This is the first show of that type, so let us know what you think of it. Um, it's definitely an experiment, but uh, hopefully we can give some good content tonight. Yeah, the idea is let's, let, we'll try to hit a couple of big, broad topics in these Q&A shows, and probably topics that um, are, are big, meaty topics in and of themselves, but perhaps not big enough to warrant their own shows in and of themselves. Yeah, and I think the first one that we've got is one we've had the most questions about uh, for shows we haven't actually given. Yeah, and we've got multiple variations of this question in many different contexts. So I'm just going to read a question we got recently from Ralph, and then we'll we'll expound on the topic. But Ralph says, I'm running MS Money on my Mac using Parallels. Works fine, but I worry about being standard on unsupported software. I've been looking and listening and have yet to find a replacement with full functionality and features offered in MS Money. Do you have any thoughts or recommendations for an MS Money power users looking for a Mac replacement to MS Money? I'm a switcher with 20 plus years in the Windows world, three years in the Mac world. MS Money is the only remaining vestige of my former life in Windows. Finding a suitable Mac replacement to MS Money would allow me to complete my move to the Mac and otherwise be a fun and rewarding experience. So this brings up the overwhelmingly popular topic, or I guess hated topic, of money management on the Mac. And I don't know, well, I don't, why is this still so hard on the Mac? Well, I think the reason why we haven't covered it, because neither one of us are ex- are real excited about any of the solutions, but it is a common problem. I, You know, for instance, uh, just jumping to like QuickBooks, which is, which a lot of businesses use to run. I know a lot of companies that, that have drank the, you know, who are big, you know, users of the Mac. They've got Macs all over the office, but they have one lone PC for the sole purpose of running QuickBooks. You know, it's just not quite there on the Mac yet. And uh, so I thought we'd break this up into two areas. Let's talk about kind of personal finance and then talk about the bigger kind of business type accounting packages. Um, it's not really, once again, something big enough for a show, but we do have some thoughts and ideas about what's out there. Right. So let's start with what you use, Katie. Yeah, part of the reason why we haven't done a full show on this is because I'm not really thrilled with the solution that I use. And um, I, I feel like I'm not quite there yet, and until I get a workflow down that I'm completely thrilled with, I feel like it doesn't warrant a full Mac Power Users episode. So this is a a good place to talk about it. But I have been a Quicken user for years. And the reason that I have used Quicken is because it really is the de facto standard now that all of these other products have died out. For years and years, it was Quicken and MS Money. And now MS Money is gone. Uh, and it's really just Quicken. Now, I know we're going to talk about before you you know stop and, and email us, there are lots of great money management um, you know products on the Mac that are not Quicken products. And we're going to talk about those in a minute. However, Quicken is the one that has been around the longest. It's the one that most of your banks and most of your financial institutions use. And if you download a a file format, it's going to be in this Quicken file format. So because this is my money, because this is some kind of data that I want to have access to for years to come, because this is data that I want to be able to carry with me and I want my data files from 10 years ago to be able to be used 10 years from now, it is very important to me personally that I have some kind of standard, some kind of big company behind me, that I have some kind of, even if perhaps it's just this false sense of security, um, that that data is going to be available and readable with a, a standard that's going to be around. Now, I'm sure a lot of MS Money people said that a couple of years ago, and and who knows where they're going to be from now. Um, you know, I used to use Quicken. I you know, and I gave up on it. I, I just don't think that Intuit really respects the Mac. I don't think they I do think. either after my latest experience. So, but anyway, All right, well, tell me about now, that. Now that I've, now that I've, I've disclaimed everything. 
Um, yeah, let me tell you about my latest experience. So uh, Quick and Essentials came out about the time that we were at Macworld last year. We started hearing a lot of things about it. So I decided to give it a try because the older version of Quicken, Quicken 2007, you know, the last release really wasn't much of an update and, you know, it was just really lagging and hadn't had much of an update and it wasn't a very pretty and Mac-like experience. So the latest version of Quicken Essentials, I got to say, it's pretty. Uh, it was rewritten for the Mac from the ground up. Um, you know, it it has that Mac look, Mac feel, Mac interface. Um, but that's kind of where it stops. Uh, it it was a complete rebuilt from scratch program. And as a result, it has lost a lot of the features uh, that previous versions of Quicken had. Now, it did import all of my, you know, I've got 10 years of data in Quicken 2007, 10 plus years actually, and it did successfully import all of that data into Quicken Essentials, knock on wood, that worked perfectly. I didn't have any problems with that. You know, I had multiple accounts, a couple of credit cards, a couple of bank accounts. So that worked. Um, But I lost a bunch of features. Now, in my case, I didn't use any of these features, so it wasn't a big deal. But... Uh, Quicken Essentials is really the bare essentials. There's no bill pay feature. There's very limited stock and asset tracking. Um, There's no check printing, and there's no ability to export into TurboTax. So initially, they were charging 70 bucks for this, and they've since dropped the price to 50 bucks, which is better. But a lot of people were really upset that you had to go out. There was no upgrade path. You had to buy full price for this new Quicken Essentials. And you lost a lot of the, you know, quote, power user features of Quicken. So that was a big point of contention for a lot of people. Yeah, I think I gave up on Quicken about three years ago. And I have the old Quicken file with Lord knows what in it. And uh, in those three years, I have not had to go back and look at that data once. I, I, I think that the whole idea of having all your, you know, how much did I pay for groceries 12 years ago? I think that stuff really isn't as important as as you think for most people. I know there's exceptions. And, yeah, it probably but, isn't that important for me. But I, I would like to be able to tell you what I paid for groceries three years ago because I can tell you it's a lot less than I paid for groceries yesterday. Yeah. But, um, um, yeah, I, I just am not, I'm just not buying it with Quicken. And I, I think it's great that they came out with, you know, something they built for the Mac, which is which is a step in the right direction. But it's it's the same story with QuickBooks. They, you know, it's, they put a, a coat of paint on a clunker. Well, but let me tell you what I use Quicken Essentials. Now I'm talking about Quicken Essentials now. Let me tell you what I use it for. I basically use it as a glorified checkbook register. I want to know where my money is, how much money I have coming in, how much money I have going out. Um, You know, I've got all of my, my income comes on a pretty regular schedule. My bills come on a pretty regular schedule. I've got them all set up. And I've also got, you know, all of my, Financial, you know, my credit cards, my banks are with pretty big institutions. And um, Quicken Essentials has the ability to, you know, go out to your bank or to your credit card as long as they're, you know, with reasonable size institutions and suck that data down, you know, if you've got online banking with them and pre-populate that all into your check register if you want them to. Now, I've never done that before. I know QuickBooks 2007 will do it too, but, um, you know, they've made it really easy and quick and essentials, little caveat coming. Um, but that was nice. And that seemed to work really well. And they've got some budgeting features. So I can tell you, you know, what percentage of my income is going to technology way too much, you know, what percentage is going to groceries, things like that. And, you know, I can tell you, okay, I can go ahead and, you know, pay the cable bill because I've got money coming in and the visa bill is due after my next paycheck is so I can, you know, go ahead and splurge and, you know, spend the money on the iPad and, and things like that. So it, you know, it was, it was a little pricey, but it, it seemed to work well. And then all of a sudden we got an update. Then what? Uh, Mac OS 10 got an update to 10.6.3. I think update came out and all of a sudden all my accounts stopped syncing. And if you go on the Quicken Essentials website, everybody else's accounts stopped syncing too. And it's just, there, there's some kludgy workarounds. You got to go in. You got to re, you know, re put in your passwords. And you know, I'm I was able to Google and find the workarounds and figure out what I needed to do to get this to work. But I mean, come on, guys, this is the very basic functionality of your product. 
is that it goes out and it sucks down the data from these financial institutions. I shouldn't have to go to your website and find these workarounds to figure out how to make it work because, you know, Apple updated their operating system. And now they've updated it again and it still doesn't work. And there have been a couple updates to Quicken Essentials and it still doesn't work. And so, you know, I was I was almost going to give them a pass because it was a a completely new product. And then it broke. And it's it's manageable because I know how to work around it. But it's like every time I launch it and every time I go in it, my accounts don't update. And I was like, oh, gosh, I've got to go in. I've got to reset my preferences. I've got to clear out my cache. I've got to do this and this and this and this. And then they work again. And it's it's a little 30-second process now that I know how to do it. But it, it just, it again, it makes me feel like Quicken's abandoned us. So and that wasn't a very it. positive review, was it? No, no, I don't miss Quicken. I, you know, maybe they'll get it sorted out later. I think they will. Up. I mean, I really think they will. But, you know, why not? I mean, how could they screw this up so badly out of the gate? Why isn't it fixed? I mean, guys, it's been months. Okay. Well, I, I'm, not, I'm not there with Quicken. It sounds like you're, you're leaving. Uh, you gotta, at some point, you just got to give up. I, I, know, I don't know that many people that really use Quicken that anymore. Uh, with some other options we're about to talk about, uh, Mint being primarily among them. But before we get to Mint, which is an online solution, there's a really good Mac app. Uh, there's two. There's one called Cha-Ching, which I don't have much experience with, but there's one called iBank. So I met the Ma- the iBank uh, developer at Macworld a few years ago. Nice guy. And uh, he's got a great little uh, personal finance uh, program. It manages investments and does a lot of stuff that, uh, really nicely. And uh, it's all for Mac. So he spent the time to make sure it takes advantage of all the great stuff we have available in Cocoa and Xcode. Uh, so that's a, that's a solution and an alternative to, to Quicken if you're looking for a local solution. Uh, what I like is Mint. I started using it before it was owned by Intuit. Uh, Mint is an online service, mint.com. And uh, I know a lot of people are uncomfortable with it because of that. It you know, keeps all your data online. But I looked into it before I started, and, and they've got pretty pretty good security. I mean, Look, all my banking is online anyway. If someone can break into my um, my bank to get my information, uh, the nice thing about Mint is it puts it all together for me. You know, the car payment and the, the credit card and the bank account and the checking and the saving. And we have a health savings account. So all these different accounts I have in one nice web-based app that has a great um, iPhone app, I can see everything that's going on. And, and uh, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of Mint. Uh, they got bought by Quicken, I don't know, about six months, a year ago. I don't know how long ago it was. Yeah. I think we were all kind of scared when, when Intuit bought it because you're thinking, well, are they going to, you know, <laughs> as Mac users, we're not big fans. But I think on the PC, they're, they're pretty big. So, uh, so far, they've taken good care of Mint. And maybe this is the ultimate solution is to have an online thing that's, you know, operating system independent. Well, if you like the budgeting features and the graphing features and things like that, that that you see in Mint, those features look very, very similar to what you see in Quicken Essentials. Yeah. So there was definitely, definitely some merging of the minds there. Um, and except by the, what I'm, except from what I'm hearing, Mint works and Quicken yeah, doesn't. yeah, well, yeah. Um, except um, you mentioned uh, Cha-Ching has actually been bought out, or merged with Intuit. So Cha-Ching is now them. Really. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, that's news to me. So maybe there's hope there too. Mm, I don't know. That sounds more like buying a competitor. Mm. Well, maybe they'll take the brain trust and I don't know. I I really I I I I don't know. I I feel like I was overly negative with Quicken Essentials, and I feel a little bad about that now. <laughs> well, iBank is an option. I mean, so I, really getting down to it, it looks to me like there's iBank, there's Quicken Essentials, and there's Mint, and those are, I think, the big three choices out there, and you can see why we're not doing a show on it, because right. either one of us are real excited about either one, although I'm, I'm happy with Mint. I'd be disappointed if it uh, became less effective or if they shut it down or did something to mess it up. So Now, can uh, you do everything you want to do on Mint? Because I, I found it lacking for just, you know, things like, you know, like the scheduling features, being able to see when my paycheck was coming in versus when my credit card bill was due and do I need to move money or am I going to be okay and things like that. Well, I'm probably even more simpler with the way I use it than you do. I um, mean, you know, I've got a family, so I kind of keep track of what everybody's spending on. So I kind of, that help, helps me keep up with that. 
and I um you know I pay my bills out of my bank's bill pay website. I don't I'll do, do it that too, yeah. Through Mint, but then it automatically tracks into Mint. I don't schedule when I'm going to make a payment. Um, uh, I guess I do most of my financial management as nerdy as it sounds through OmniFocus. You know, mm-hmm. so I know you know it comes up. I need to pay the gas bill or whatever. Because I've got just about everything paperless these days, so I they all send me an email that your bill's ready, and then I just drop it in as a as a task item in OmniFocus, and I usually do you know once a week. That's my weekly ritual. Don McAllister will appreciate this. I I watch screencasts online and pay bills. Hmm. So so Saturday I uh, I catch up with whatever Don's up to, and and it's a way to make paying bills a little less painful. Yeah, I sh- I should mention that because you know Quicken Essentials doesn't have any of the bill pay features, but my bank I, I bank with a, a very large bank, Bank of America, who does um, uh, has a, a great online bill pay system. So I do all of that through them. So I don't need any of that stuff. I wouldn't use it even if it was in Quicken Essentials. And then, so if you if you really want all of the bells and whistles with Quicken, the best thing you do is go back to Quicken two thousand seven, which was the last full featured version. Which is still available and which they've said that they're going to still support because they're planning on re-implementing these features back into a less essential version of Quicken Essentials at some point in the future to be announced, perhaps. Okay, and then if you're going to do accounting, uh, like, you know, like for business m- uh, management, you uh, are not going to be happy with Quicken or any of these solutions. You want something like QuickBooks. Mm-hmm. Uh, QuickBooks is like the de facto application to run businesses on. A lot of small businesses run QuickBooks and then their accountants have it as well. And sadly, it's the same story for QuickBooks as it was for Quicken. The version on the Mac is always seems like it's a little bit behind the version for Windows. They just came out with the uh, QuickBooks 2011. And one of the comments I read, somebody says, is great. You know, now they're almost at parity with QuickBooks 2005 on the PC. <laughs> it's just not there. And uh, like I said at the beginning of the show, a lot of people will run. That's the one reason they run Parallels or the one reason they keep that old PC computer in the office is just to run QuickBooks. The biggest problem I have is that QuickBooks on the Mac uses a different file format than QuickBooks on the PC, which to me is just unforgivable. How do you do that? I mean, the reason people are going to have QuickBooks on their Mac a lot of times is because they want to share data with their CPA CPAs are worse than lawyers. They almost always use PCs, right? So yeah. in, or- in order to get your QuickBooks file from your Mac to your accountant on his PC, you've got to go through about eight different steps. Uh, I'm over-exaggerating, but it, it's a lot of rigmarole to export the file, to get into a PC format, get it on the PC, then get it back on the Mac and get it in a Mac format. It's just, it's painful and, and you know, just... Uh, several opportunities to screw up the data. So, you know, that is a big problem. Uh, I was looking into this recently for a project I'm going to be talking about later in the show, and it looks to me like maybe one of the better solutions if you're running a business on your Mac is to look at, um, there's a a company, it used to be called MYOB, now they're called Acclivity, and they have a product called AccountEdge, which is a uh, type of um, accounting software built for the Mac that, gets a lot of things right that I think QuickBooks doesn't. It's real strong. It, they have Windows and PC versions. The files are compatible. Interestingly, if you have an accountant and they don't have the AccountEdge application, the, the company will send a copy to your accountant for free. You know, because they want, because they know most accountants are, are using QuickBooks. So they want to give right. it to them so they can learn how to use it. So, the, you know, there's some good solutions out there and uh, I am nowhere near qualified to to talk about these at length. Uh, there's a reason why I went to law school because I didn't want to be an accountant. So uh, I'm anxious to hear from the uh, listeners in the comment section on this because I'm sure there's some people out there with more experience than us about what they like and dislike. But now we have our financial episode done in half the time of a normal episode. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. It only took us 20 minutes. Oh, you know, there's one other uh, software here in the, the outline I forgot to mention, and that's Market Circles Billings. And that's something I'm really um, impressed with. If you're an artist or an attorney or a, somebody who bills by the hour, uh, Market Circle, it's not as full featured as QuickBooks or AccountEdge. But if you're just, if you, you know, if you bill by the hour, this is a great application to kind of keep track of 
the time you spend and it generates invoices and keeps track of payments. It's a, I think it's a really nice application and I believe it starts at $50. They just came out with a pro version that has a lot more features, but just for the basics, it's a, it's a really nice Mac friendly billing application. And, and just so we can say, we mentioned them because I'm sure no matter what we mention and what we don't, we'll get emails from folks saying, you didn't mention this. You didn't mention this. I use this. It works great. Um, there are a couple others that may be worth checking into. Uh, Money Dance, uh, Money Well, and Squirrel uh, are a couple that I've I've also heard of. So you may want to check those out. We'll put links in the show notes. And then the other thing is just you know an Excel spreadsheet or a numbers spreadsheet. Yeah, but then you're kind of putting the onus on yourself to to keep track of everything. Mm-hmm. Although I have to admit, I that's how I track my yearly budget. I mean, I I have a number spreadsheet, and there's 12 sheets in it, one for every month. And at the end of the year, I can get a pretty good idea of where we spent money. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk about our first sponsor, PDF Pen. Well, our first sponsor is Smile Software, makers of PDF Pen. Yes. And I've got to tell you, the more I am digging into the new PDF Pen version 5, the more I am finding new little jewels and nuggets that are just so cool. So my latest favorite feature that um, I just learned about from PDF Pen 5 is did you know that you can actually create a PDF from a web page using the pro version of PDF Pen? I did not know that. It is very cool. So here's what you do. So in PDF Pen, you can say new and you can say, you know, you can say a new document, you can say a new blank document, but you can also say from a blank web page and you can put in a URL of pick a web page. You know, and okay, so whatever. Mac power users, whatever you want to do. Um, and stick in the web page, and then you can tell it how many levels deep in the links you actually want it to follow because there are a lot of links on Mac power users. Um, and it will scan through the web page, it will scan through the links, and it will make a PDF of the entire web page and all of the links. Now you can limit it because you know you don't want it to get too big. Um, and it will create a PDF of that web page. Boom, you're done. You can throw it on your iPod or your iPad or whatever, and you can read it on the go. That's a nice feature. I'm going to be checking that out. How cool is that? And you know, they also have a book now. Well, that's how I learned about it. Oh, did you get the book? I got the book. I haven't got it yet. You well, should read. Okay, so... Uh, they went with uh, the Take Control folks. And they, they make together, great books, by the way. Yeah, they do. I've read a couple of their books. And uh, so they have a PDF pen, a Take Control of PDF pen book. So if you want to learn about how to get the most out of it and you work with PDFs every day, this is a great solution. Well written. I think it's uh, Mr. Cohen wrote this book, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, you should check it out. It's, uh, we'll put a link in the show notes for the book link at Take Control. And if you're a power user for... PDF pen, or you want to get better at it, this may be where you want to go. Yeah, the ebook is uh, 10 bucks. There's a free sample on their webpage. It's at smallsoftware.com slash PDF pen slash take control, but we will put a link in the show notes. Um, and it's 132 pages. So if you thought that there wasn't much to PDF pen, there's a whole lot to PDF pen. There's 132 pages worth of, of, uh, of goodness. All but right. You, you should read the book, David. You'll learn things. I will. I need to. Okay, so I'd like to thank, once again, Smile Software for sponsoring the Mac Power users and helping us bring this show to you. Now, you've made a change in your task management program, haven't you? Yeah, but let, let's let's get there first. This is our Q&A show. Okay. Um, all right, so uh, here is a question from Grand. Hi there. This is someone that enjoys your Mac Power user uh, website. Love it. I'd really appreciate if you can update your your um, your testing of OmniFocus for iPad or OmniFocus versus Things, but now for the iPad versions. So much has changed in those two things. It would be really wonderful that you, Don McAllister, update that. Be uh, very grateful. Now, if that wasn't a softball up the middle, I don't know what was. Yeah, that's right in my wheelhouse. But before I start talking, I understand you've made a change. I have made a change. Okay. Now, this is in no way... Admitting that you won. <laughs> it's not a win and lose. Okay. Um, so, you know, we had our whole task management smackdown 
thing. And uh, David uses OmniFocus, and I use things. Uh, and now we both use OmniFocus. So um, what what changed? Well, basically, Grand and everybody else, what changed for me uh, was the iPad app. Um, you know, Things was coming out with an iPad app. OmniFocus was coming out with an iPad app. They both had iPhone apps. They both had Mac apps. And I really took a hard look at, you know, how I was using these apps and how I was using my iPad, more importantly. And um, the, the, the biggest thing that I needed is I needed to keep these devices in sync. And I couldn't keep syncing them up to the Wi-Fi network. It was just becoming too much of a pain um, to, to do this kludgy Wi-Fi sync over the network, making sure that both applications were launched, that they were both running at the same time, that I could sync over the Wi-Fi network. Um, and that was just, that was a, a big enough pain to keep in sync between the, the Mac and the iPhone version. And it was just going to be too much to keep in sync with an iPad version as well. Um, so I was already seriously considering making a change. And then when I saw the iPad app, that, that really, that really changed everything for me. So um, I I made the switch to uh, OmniFocus, and I've I've been really happy with it. Um, and I'm I'm actually using the iPad app probably more than any other app. I'm I'm using the desktop app a fair amount, but I, I would say most of my stuff is on the iPad app, and then a handful of things I'm doing on the iPhone app, just more so to check things off while I'm out and about. So how difficult was it to make the transition between things and, and OmniFocus? The initial transition I made on the computer, you know, with one open on one screen, one open on the other, um, basically moving tasks over. And that was a little, it was a little bit of, and not much, a little bit of, you know, retyping tasks from one to the other and reorganizing tasks. And then, you know, I don't, I don't have all of the things in there that you have set up in there. I'm not quite as obsessive about using it as you do, but it was still probably an hour, hour and a half of, of, of recreating things in, I I, I got recreating tasks, recreating, repeating tasks, recreating things from things into OmniFocus. And I did that all on the Mac, just obviously because I'm so much faster at inputting data, you know, using the physical keyboard on a Mac than I am, you know, on an iPhone or an iPad. And then once I had all of that data in and imported and, you know, set to sync and, you know, repeating tasks and things like that all set up, um, I synced it up to MobileMe. I'm using my MobileMe account to keep everything in sync. And then all of a sudden it was, you know, on my iPad and on my iPhone. Yeah, you know, Omni Group has a beta program right now where they're hosting your Omni-focused data for you. And I recommend taking a look at that. It's free, at least for now. And I suspect, I mean, I have no knowledge whatsoever, but just I would speculate that they're going to do more with that. I mean, I would hope maybe even someday there'd be a web portal or something. Oh, that'd be great. Uh, but, you know, I, I'm not really sure how much I need it at this point because it's on the iPad so successfully. Well, um, it's you know, so good on the iPad. It's so big and pretty on the iPad. Um, not that the iPhone app wasn't good it's just i'm taking it's so functional on the ipad so much more so than the iphone you know it's almost desktop quality yeah and in a lot of ways i think it's better i did a really extended review on it at max park you will put the link in the show notes but uh one of the things that i always feel like omnifocus does well is the reviewing you know so you can set uh, projects up to be reviewed and you can set it incrementally so you can say oh this is an important project at work i want to review it once a week then, like, I have another client where, you know, I update his corporate minutes once a year. So I only review that once every six months. Yeah. So you don't get flooded with all the reviews of projects that don't need to be reviewed, but you do get the important ones. And uh, on the iPad, it's even easier than it is on the Mac. And they also have kind of a way to show what is the due items over the next week. And you can kind of look at how things are going to come down. So I think they did a great job with the app. Um, that being said, I you know I don't have a problem with things. I've no 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 no. It's it's yeah. a great app. Yeah, and, I set up and they're working on the cloud sync. It's it's in I I believe it's in alpha testing now. I don't know if it's made it to the beta testing stage. Well, I think they've blown it taking this long. To be yeah. honest, I mean a lot of people have moved on. But uh, I have I just last week I set up an, a friend with a Mac and 
and she didn't want OmniFocus and she wanted something simpler. And I said, things is the thing. And she called me up just today and said how great that is. And she's so happy she switched because this things thing has changed her life. So I don't think there's anything wrong with things. It's just for me, OmniFocus works great. I'm glad that you're using it. Um, I'm uh, on the verge of, of doing my big OmniFocus screencast. I've been really busy with the, with this other project, but now that that's starting to free up, I'm going to kind of share some of my power tips for OmniFocus soon. But like you, the iPad has really changed the way I use it. Um, I always kind of had a rule for myself that using OmniFocus, I would open it in the morning and set up my day and then close it. You know, I don't want that application running and you know, tempting me to spend my whole day fiddling and instead getting work done. And now that I I can do that and just view what I'm up to on the iPad, it's great. So I walk around the office all day with my iPad and I can flip open OmniFocus and add a new to-do item or a new task item real quickly or I can monitor what I'm up to or I can over lunch, I can review whatever needs to be reviewed. It's, it's just fantastic. I, I think it's a, a real game changer for me on the iPad. That along with, you know, Instapaper and a couple other apps it just really makes the iPad just a great device for me. So I guess to to answer the question, uh, we're both uh, enthusiastic users of the OmniFocus iPad app. Very enthusiastic users. It's It's a gorgeous app. It's very well done. And I mean, Omni just does really well with their stuff. I've been very thrilled. I can't wait till Omni Outliner comes to the iPad. Yeah, me too. I, I was fortunate enough to be in on the beta for the Omni Focus for iPad. And one of the things I thought was remarkable... You were fortunate enough. You begged and begged and begged. <laughs> well, I did ask very nicely. Uh, so the thing that I thought was remarkable was no matter what hour of the day, if you went and checked the the you know the Insider beta site, there was a new buildup. I mean, 2 a.m. in the morning, you know, 7 in the morning, 1 in the afternoon. Somebody seemed to be working on this thing without sleep for about two months. And they really did make changes as they went along the way. And they were really trying to streamline it to say, okay, how are you going to get your work done with this thing? You know, what? how do we make it efficient? And I think they did a great job. Well, hopefully that answers Grant's question, but... Yeah, it's, it's, it's changed my workflow in a very significant way. And David, I... I need that screencast. Okay, I'm going to get to that soon. I need it. I get it. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about... Or I need you to come out and give me personal lessons. Your choice? Yeah, well, at Macworld next year, let's sit down. I'll, I'll set you up. Okay, <laughs> sounds good. Okay, so let's talk about Todd. All right. Hi, Dave and Katie. This is Todd from Kenosha, Wisconsin. Um. I am in the market for getting a new car stereo. I'm getting a, a new old car, and I'm going to kind of put life into it by getting a uh, uh, getting a, some kind of a high-tech stereo system. And I was wondering if you guys had uh, done any research on this or had given any thoughts to what you would look for in a car stereo if you could spend whatever, two, three, four hundred $400 on getting one and how it would integrate with your iDevice life. Thanks a lot. Bye. Well, we are all over the map tonight. We got um, we we got money management, we money management. We got OmniFocus, and we got car stereos now. So, and I th- I think the um, we're gonna you know break the sexual stereotype. And since you're the expert on car stereos, <laughs> I don't know if I'm an expert. Um, but I I can I can understand a little bit what Todd is saying because I have a 1997 Toyota. I love my 1997 Toyota. Um, but it had a tape deck in it. And at one point I was very thankful that it had a tape deck because that at least made hooking up my iPod fairly simple because I was able to use the cassette adapter instead of one of those horrible, horrible, horrible FM transmitters because I don't care what they say on the box. Those things do not work. I mean, I'm sure somebody's going to write in and say that they work great, but people, they don't work well. You're kidding yourselves. So um, the other good thing about my 1997 Toyota is that it had a very standard, and I I'm I'm I don't know the terminology here, but it had a very standard head unit. In that mine, in in my case, it was a double decker, but meaning that I was fortunate and that I could go to Best Buy and pick something, and just about anything that I could pick off the shelf at Best Buy would work. 
Now, I listen to um, podcasts in my car about 90% of the time, so I didn't go crazy. I didn't need speakers or subwoofers or anything like that. I just connected it to my existing set. So about five years ago, I think so, um, I found, because it was before the iPhone, I found a $99 Black Friday special um, inexpensive JVC stereo with an iPod dock connector that worked with my second generation iPod. Uh, and I'm still using that stereo in my car, so it doesn't have to be expensive. It was one of those deals where it was 99 bucks, and the Black Friday special was that they would install it for free and you got the free iPod adapter. And in my case, they took out my double deck, um, you know, tape deck and radio, and they put in this all-in-one unit that had a single-disc CD, and it had, um, you know, a stereo. Um, and then in the, they put a, a tray in, in the set, you know, like a blank tray in the second spot. And then out of it came the, um, the dot connector. So I've got basically this shelf that's got a dot connector coming out of it. Um, and that worked great with all models iPod, but it never worked with the iPhone, except it now works with, uh, my iPhone four. And I think that has something to do a little bit with the background processing. It may have worked with the, may have worked with my old iPhone with uh, with multitasking, but I don't know. Um, but it was older and it was designed for uh, FireWire, so I did have to go out and get a Scotch adapter, which was about twenty five bucks. But that also had the benefit of it fit with my um, iPhone bumper, so that was a no brainer too. So. I'm real happy. I, I connect my iPod or my iPhone directly up with a 30-pin dot connector to my stereo, and um, it charges and plays, and it works great. Um, in my case, as soon as I connected up, the um, the iPod on the phone just says accessory, uh, accessory connected, and I can't use any of the controls. I have to, if I want to control the iPod, use the controls on the radio deck. Um, but I can, because I'm multitasking access all the other controls. Um, but I actually have to control the radio through the controls on the head. So I had to do a little bit of fancy, um, you know, playlist manipulation in iTunes. And I had to create a specific podcast playlist in iTunes, which I actually named period podcast so that it would show up first in my playlist so that I'd be able to navigate it to it quickly. Um, but that was easy enough. So that's what I have in my current setup. And that was the Easiest, cheapest way to go was 99 bucks. Plus, of course, I had to pay, you know, there were a couple of accessories that I ended up having to buy. But, you know, I was out the door for 125 bucks or so. Um, go ahead, David. Well, that, you know, I'm simpler than you. I just have, I have my stereo. My car has the auxiliary input. Was it the See, apex? mine was so old, it didn't even have that. Yeah, so I use a, um, it's a RAM mount, RAM mounting systems. Uh, I'm real happy with it. They have the iPhone 4 mount, and it comes with a really good quality suction cup. I've had two or three of them I bought in the past that I just got cheap on Amazon, and the problem is the suction cups aren't good enough, and the darn thing starts falling off. Um, the RAM, I've, I've admittedly only had it since the iPhone 4 came out, but uh, it seems to me like it's a higher quality, so hopefully it'll last longer than you know six months. So I use that, and I just run a, a cord from the headphone jack and the iPhone to the input on the uh, stereo. And so I, I don't really have anything fancy either. I, I like listening to good music, but, uh, you know, the traffic noise and everything, I, I don't think you're going to have a super audio experience in the car anyway. So at least for me, that's good enough. Uh, you know, a question that came up to my mind while you were talking, though, is you said you listen to a lot of podcasts. Now, do you listen to them? As a playlist, or do you listen to them under the podcast menu on the phone? No. In in my case, and I don't know, because remember, I don't have access to the phone's iPod controls while it's connected to the car. I have all of my podcasts in a playlist. So I had to create a smart playlist with an iTunes that, I don't remember what it said, but I think I, I configured it to, I said, if kind equals podcast, and if kind does not equal video. Okay, here's another thing to add. If play count equals zero. I think I've got that in there too. Yeah, yeah so that, so when you set it up, this is a good tip. If you're doing a playlist of podcasts or things you only want to listen to once, uh, you set up, you add a rule uh, in iTunes that say play count equals zero. And that way, 
when you listen to it in your car or whatever, as soon as you listen to it once, then it drops off the playlist and you don't hear it again. Now, does that create a problem in that if you start listening to something and you listen to it partially through, it counts as being played? No, it doesn't. So it only hits a play count of one when you get to the very end. In fact, sometimes if you listen to something and you're not interested in the rest of it, you have to take your finger and just pull the bead across to the end to get it to to get it to one and then it drops off the playlist. If you don't if you stop or fast forward with 30 seconds left, it stays on the list. Okay. All right. Well, that's good. I will add that to mine. And and one thing I would recommend because, you know, the cheapy car stereo that I bought did not include this is I always recommend that you do at least some kind of future proofing if that's what you want to call it. Of If you decide to go the route like I do and get one that actually has a dock connector, and I liked that because it charged and synced at the same time, um, also get one that has an aux connector because mine does not. And I had years where I could not use my iPhone up until this most recent iPhone. I could not use my iPhone in my car. And I could have if I had an auxiliary connection. Yeah. I thought I was going to have to go out and buy um, a new iPod. I also keep in the car a generation, I think it's a first generation iPod Nano, the, you know, the scratchy ones. Uh-huh. And uh, I keep it in there because sometimes I just want music and for some reason or another the phone is getting low or whatever. And I keep that in the car. But, you know, I, I don't think you and I are really the power audio files. Uh, but if you're a Mac geek, there's some solutions. Yeah. Well, I have a couple more thoughts on the subject, actually. All right, let's hear so, it. So that's that's the route to go if you've got a simple standard car with a simple standard deck that you can, you know, go to Best Buy and, you know, pick whatever off the shelf, easy, you know, done. But let's say you have a fancy car and your car's got a custom dash and you can't just go to Best Buy and buy a, you know, off the off the shelf system because your car's got this custom dash or it's got you know, built-in controls or, or things like that. Well, there is this whole, and I've, I've put a link, I'm going to put a link in the show notes to a CNET TV video. It's about six minutes long, so it, it, it's worth watching. But there's this whole um, industry designed around uh, creating standardized faceplates and controls to work with more, to make them look, I think they're called specialty dash kits and adapters to work with custom cars. So if your car won't fit that standard, you know, box square deck, it probably will with some adapters. And, you know, if your car's got a nav system built in, or if your car has the AC controls that are built in, you know, with the stereo, they're a little more expensive. They can range from, you know, $99 to several hundred. But if you don't have that standard slot, you can get a specialty dash kit or adapters, or if you have special steering wheel controls that are non-standard or things like that, um, you're going to get more expensive. You're probably talking several hundred as opposed to a couple of hundred. Um, but I don't think you're talking thousands of dollars to make this work. And usually it can be less expensive because sometimes you can't go back, even if you go to the dealer and put in a more expensive stereo. And then even if you can, that can be really expensive. Yeah, avoid dealers. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, the other options are always, you know, if you have that aux jack, which a lot of newer cars do, sometimes they're in odd places like the dash box, or the, you know, the glove box or the center console, you know, just about anything will plug into that. And that's always an option. Um, or if you've got an older car, you know, you can always go cassette adapter or FM transmitter. So. And the speaker in the iPhone is pretty good, too. Yeah, you could do that. I mean, if you're just listening to a, a podcast or an audiobook. We've got some more to cover, but before we do that, let's talk about our next sponsor, 1Password. So, Katie, uh, you know, I was looking at 1Password and showed somebody recently the go and fill feature. Are you familiar with that? Oh, yeah. yeah so you go and you, you click it, go and fill, and you tell it what website you want. You click on it, and it goes and finds a website, puts your credentials in, and opens it up. And I showed it to a PC guy. And I think I sold a Mac just because of that feature. Oh, <laughs> I didn't tell him. I, I hope I you didn't, didn't tell him. him. Yeah, no, it was available for Windows. That they're coming out of the Windows version now. But he, he just was amazed by it. And, uh, I, you know, you start to take it for granted. But 1Password is a great application. 
Uh, it allows you to keep all of your passwords securely, and it allows you to create passwords that don't follow the old habits of you know having one or two passwords you use on every website. Uh, they make really secure uh, non-English words, you know, just a mixture of different you know characters and symbols. And everyone is different for every website, and it's just as easy to make an ultra-secure password for every website as it used to be to use the same password over and over again. And I just can't recommend it enough. I think it's, it's an example of what's right with the Mac when you have these developers come up with these unique applications that solve such a basic problem. Yeah, I actually went out recently and bought the uh, Windows version of 1Password because I, I think I told you I went out and super 1Passwordized all of my passwords after my recent little, I, um, I don't want to call it identity theft, but after my multiple credit card wipe problems. Yeah. Um, so I've got 1Password on my Mac, 1Password on my iPhone, 1Password on my iPad, you know, super secure passwords for everything I do. And I went ahead and bought one password for windows. Cause if you buy one password for windows now, while it's still in beta, I think you've got 50% off. And of course I bought it through the link in our show notes. Um, and it's, it's a, it's a pretty cool windows, uh, implementation. It's so cool having one password everywhere I go. Yeah. And another feature I'll talk about this week is, uh, the anti phishing element of one password because one password will look at the website you're on and only offer to fill in the password if it jives with what one password understands the website you're supposed to be on. So if somebody sends you a phishing scam and you click a link and you think you're on your banking site and it looks like you're in your banking site, but one password will not offer to fill in your password for you, then red, you know, red flags go up and you say, wait a second, you know, how come one password doesn't trust the site? And that's a great anti-phishing scam. You know, it doesn't, it's a way for you to find out when you're at a wrong website, even though it looks like the right website. Yeah. Another feature is, uh, is it, it avoids key loggers because you're not typing in your password. So if there's a key logger on your Mac, nobody's going to be able to log your password because it just drops it in. You don't have anything to do with it on your keyboard. It's a great application. It sells for $40 and they have uh, versions for the iPhone and the iPad and it works on the iPod touch too and windows. So, uh, if you have any questions about getting passwords right, go check it out at agilewebsolutions.com or also I think it's just onepassword.com. And we'd like to thank them for sponsoring the show. All right, what's next? Okay, uh, I got an email today from someone asking about the new Dragon Dictate for Mac. Uh, just We did a show not so long ago on Mac Speech Dictate and I think when we did the show we we explained that the company had been bought by Nuance which is the people who uh, own Dragon License and we were curious about what they were going to do and you know you're always a little leery you know when a software product you like gets bought up by a big company is it you know going to die on the vine are they going to make it better well having used the new Dragon Dictate for Mac for just a week now I can say with no reservation that it is much better they have made big improvements so I'm very excited about the uh, Dragon Dictate for Mac. So uh, to answer your question, Eric, yes, go buy it. It's $50 for an upgrade. Uh, it's $200 if you don't own it yet. They added the Dragon 11 engine, which is the newest engine on the PC. So now we're at parity with the PC again. And they streamlined the commands, which are consistent with the PC version. If you're a PC user, you'll have no problem uh, jumping between the two applications now. That was always kind of a problem for me because I dictate on both uh, Windows and Mac, and sometimes I would forget in my mind what's the command on this platform. And the thing is just you know fast and stable and does a great job. I can't recommend enough making that upgrade. I was a big fan of Mac Speech Dictate before, but they've they've made a big improvement with this newest version of Dragon Dictate. Yeah, I also just got that email, and um, I thought, wow, for fifty bucks, this is a no brainer. I I went ahead and did the update. Um, got it as a download. You can also request a CD, but I think they charge you shipping. So I just, I opted to do it as a download and I'll, I'll burn my own CD of it. It was a pretty big download, but I think it was under two gigs. So it didn't take too long to download. Um, and I've been playing around with it and it's, 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 it's easy to use if you've, if you've used, um, you know, the Mac speech product before you'll, you'll feel right at home with it, but it, it does seem to be more accurate, a little snappier, um, the the new commands I think are are welcome. I'm I'm sure there's some 
some tips and some tweaks that I, I haven't gotten used to yet. Uh, but so far I'm, I'm impressed with, with what they've done with it. And I'm, I'm, I, I, I must admit I was nervous when I heard that, that dragon had taken it over uh, from the max speech guys. And I was a, a little nervous about what, what are they going to do with it? But I, I think they've done right by this product and hopefully they've, they've done right by the max speech guys as well. Yeah. Well, I wasn't that nervous because I knew, first of all, the reason max speech had, had become so much better was because they were using Dragon's engine. And I've been a longtime user of Dragon on Windows, and they have done such just a, a stellar job of making that product better every year that I figured that they would give the same attention to the Mac. And they have. So, you know, it's great when a, a big developer supports the Mac, and, and this is a, a good example of that. Uh, so go check it out. Uh, if you're into the dictation, it, it just got easier on the Mac. Uh, the next uh, item on the outline isn't a question from a listener, but I just thought I'd share something. Uh, about the time the show publishes, I'll be putting up an article at Max Sparky 2. Uh, I have been writing a book. Yay! You've had a secret that you've been keeping from everybody. Yeah. Well, it's kind of. <laughs> a lot of people knew about it, but I've, I've been trying to keep it, you know. It hasn't rest. been public. Yeah. yeah I'm, so uh, I'm very excited. I want one of the first copies that comes off the presses because... Um, I, I want to know about all the Max Sparky goodness. Yeah, uh, a couple of years ago, I went out and spoke at the ABA Tech Show, and I was looking at all these lawyers carrying Macs around, and they had like Office and PowerPoint on them. They didn't, you know, they had this Mac, but they weren't really using it. And I got thinking about it. I became kind of conscious of noticing that how many people have Macs but don't really know how to use them right at work. So I kind of got on this whole Mac at work thing. In fact. I gave a session on it last year at Macworld. And so uh, it's a long process, and maybe we'll do an extended show on it someday about how it all went down. But well, we the, definitely uh, will do a show on it about how it went down and, and actually how you write a book. Yeah, yeah, that, that was, it was a big learning experience. I went into it thinking I probably had it all figured out, and of course I knew nothing and, uh, and learned tons through the process. But the book is called Mac at Work, and it's going to be out on January 17th. So. Oh, so you have a firm date. Yeah, it's out, it'll be out the week before Macworld, and uh, it's about 350 pages, all color. It looks beautiful. Uh, most of the layout's done. All, most of my work is done, but, you know, because of the Christmas season and whatnot, um, it doesn't get, you know, the, the geeky MacBook doesn't get the exact priority at the, uh, the printer that, you know, the Christmas books do. Uh, it'll be published by Wiley Press, the same people that do, like, the Dummies books, but this is a one-off. They're uh, taking a chance because they've never had anything like this before. So hopefully it will sell well and that they'll see that people do like to work with the Mac. So uh, I'm real excited about it. But it's it's 90,000 words, and it's it's uh, taken over my life for the last six months or so. I'm really kind of glad to be on the backside of it now so I can kind of breathe again between the day job and the Mac Power users and the book. I was pretty busy there for a while. Yeah, we look forward to having you back. Yeah, well, it's... it's I'm sure 20- your family look forward to having you back. Yeah, you know, it, it worked out. I, I'm pretty efficient, so I was able to have time for a family too. But uh, it was a lot of work doing essentially two full-time jobs. <laughs> but the uh, the book is 24 chapters, and, and the layout, the idea is every chapter is a is distinct entity. So, like, if you want to learn about PDFs, that's um, chapter 12. So you can go read chapter 12, and it's got everything you need to do and the tips and the best applications and everything. So you could read it cover to cover. You could just go read the chapters that are relevant to what you're doing. But I came up with 24 different things you can do at work with your Mac. And uh, it was a lot of fun writing the book. I'm really glad to be able to announce it and share it with the world. So uh, I hope everybody uh, follows me along with this thing and and sees where it goes. I think I'm hoping I get a a sample chapter up on the website and a few things once we get closer to the release date. So just stay tuned. But uh, I was going to post on it at Max Sparky this week. And I thought that, you know, my Mac power users family is just as important to me. And I wanted to share it here as well. Well, I think the Mac power users listeners, especially will, will be very interested in this book because we talked about this a little bit before you started writing it. Um, and it, it, the, it's, it's kind of very similar to what we do in a lot of ways. Yeah. It's just not, the thing is, you know, people always call the Mac a toy and you can't use it for real work. And the fact is, if you're smart about the way you use your Mac, you can run circles around PCs. You really can. I, I've been doing it for years. So that's the idea of the book. That's the, uh, that was my uh, motivation for doing it. And uh, I was pretty passionate about it. So hopefully that translated well. And 
it's not a bunch of meaningless drivel, but uh, we'll find out on January 17th. Well, David, I just I just have to say I, I knew about this when it was in its genesis. We we talked about it. We've we've I, I know I haven't lived it with you, but I, I kind of feel like I've I've kind of been there while it's been going on. And I just I want to say that I am I am so just starstruck by what you've done. I am I'm so proud of what you've done and what you've accomplished and what seem is like a fairly short period of time. I just I don't know how you do it between work and family. You are really an inspiration to me. I am just in awe of you. I think it's madness. So don't be, don't be too eager there, so. <laughs> but it was fun. I had a good time. And like I said, maybe we will do a show because the process of writing a book is kind of interesting. And, uh, and, uh, I really came up with some, some interesting workflows as I did it. And I learned a lot and, you know, dealing with editors and publishers is, is really a, a whole different gig by itself. So there, there's interesting things there. I'm not sure how interesting it'll be to the reader. Let us know, but uh, we'll do something about it in the future. Maybe yeah. when we get closer to the release date. Absolutely. All right. Well, speaking of books and reading, that does bring us to our last sponsor of the evening, and that is Naval Labs. Um, I am in particular a fan of their Read More application for the iPhone. And basically what Read More does, and David, your book is going to have to go in there as soon as I get it, although I have a feeling I'll, I'll turbo through it fairly quickly, um, is that uh, if you've got a stack of books on your nightstand, like I do, that you want to get through, but you can't find any motivation, or maybe you're a student, you've got several books that you have to finish for a class deadline, um, or you've just got a book that you've got to get through. Um, it, it, it gives you that little bit of motivation and, and we're geeks. We like to track things and we like to figure out, okay, where are we? When are we going to finish? How is this working? So read more helps you understand and, and track and see and visualize a little bit more about your reading habits and hopefully in the process, encourage you to keep reading. Um, so read more among other things will let you import the information about your books, including the pages, where you start, where you finish, track your time. Um, and then it tracks your reading sessions and it will help you kind of predict and gauge where you are in the book when you'll finish the book. It's got options for you to jot down notes about your reading session. And hopefully it will help you motivate yourself by having you take a look back at your reading history. If you want, you can export the data. Uh, it's got a great user interface and the developer has some interesting features planned for the future. So stay tuned. Um, but again, if you're like me and you need to get through a bunch of stack of books, uh, you should check it out. It's $1.99. And, uh, you know, if you read more, I think that's worth the price of admission right there. Yeah, you know, school's back in session. And my third grader is kind of got to the point in her life where she's reading chapter books and she's no longer reading picture books. And that's a big deal to her. She's really excited that she's kind of, a, you know, becoming an adult and reading big books. And so I shared this application with her and because we read together at night. And she is totally digging it. I mean, I guess she's going to be a nerd like me. Um, because uh, she loves reporting it in and seeing how she's doing and telling her teacher, I'm going to finish this book next Tuesday. I mean, she really is into this application. So if you've got kids, this may be a way to help uh, making the reading process uh, a little more fun. So you, you want to check it out for that, that purpose as well. I think it's really good. Also, they make the great Pomodoro timer, which we've talked about in, in prior podcasts. I even blogged on it this week because I was getting so many emails asking me about the Pomodoro technique. But really, it's a simple productivity technique where you uh, work for 25-minute bursts and then you take a little break. And uh, they just did a great job of implementing that on the iPhone, uh, with this 99-cent Pomodoro timer app. And that's also from Naval Labs. So head over to Naval Labs, that's N-A-V-E-L-L-A-B-S dot com, and check out their applications. We're very um, excited to have them as a sponsor of the Mac Power users, and we'd like to thank them for helping us bring the show to you. So we've got some follow-up from the Keynote Show. Yes, lots of follow-up from the Keynote Show. People seem to really like the Keynote Show. Yeah, Well, it was, that was a really fun show for me to record. I felt like uh, I had to just get it off my chest. <laughs> so uh, after we did it, um, uh, some, we got uh, one comment from Alan who said one of the biggest tips he received was never override a template unless absolutely necessary. It's a good tip. It's really hard to refresh and use that uniform styling we were talking about. And he's right. You know, don't just create new templates if you have to, but don't overwrite those existing ones. You'll regret it later. Right. Uh, you know, Simon wrote in, Hey, you know, Dave and Katie, you guys are doing great, but how come you're costing me so much money? Can you 
focus more on open source solutions. Sorry. Uh, you know, and, uh, but he makes a good point and I'm going to make an effort to try and look for more open source solutions when we talk about some of these topics, because it is expensive to, uh, to go out and buy the latest and greatest all the time. Yeah. So Simon message received. Yeah. Eddie wrote in, he liked the keynote app. Um, and he said, if you had told me over a year or two ago that I would be so interested on the show on presentation software, I would have said you were crazy. Well, Eddie, if you had told me over a year ago that I would be doing a show on presentation software, I would have told you you were crazy. But, you know, those are the kinds of things that I do for David. So he says, Keynote is a really fantastic app. While I don't give presentations often, I often use Keynote to routinely make ad hoc graphics. And this was one of the options that you talked about, David, in terms of alternate uses for Keynote. I often use it to combine visual elements, for example, clip art, random images, and text, so it's easy to arrange objects on a Keynote slide. Instead of exporting it as an image, I usually just take a screenshot, Command-Shift-4, and the fonts and graphics are so script are so crisp that you'd never know I created it in such a primitive way. Good tip. Yeah, I mean, it really is a graphics application. If you need to uh, make a quick diagram with those guides that they've built in, uh, I use it all the time to just you know put something together. And he's right, you know, just do a quick screen grab and you get a PNG image on it. If uh, Depending on where you're putting it, you can remove the alpha or the background layer and have a really nice, clean graphic. It's, uh, it's, it's really... A, an impressive application in that regard. Uh, we got a, um, several people left comments because I was slow to get the link for my remote up on the website. So if you it's went there, there and it wasn't there, it's, it's there now. So you can go check that out. Right. Um, Donald wrote in and he was talking about, um, you know, how I said you should close all your programs. He says, don't forget the stuff in your menu bar, and which is a great <laughs> point because you, know, you don't want Twitter uh, or something popping up in the middle of your presentation. Uh, he had an idea to just create a separate user account just for presentations, which has none of that stuff installed. It's a good which idea. It's kind of overkill for me. I mean, I'm smart enough to to turn off the stuff I need to. And frankly, I think Until just about listening to the show would. But you know, if you're like if you're in a position of creating these keynotes and handing the computer to somebody else, I think it's a great idea to do that. Um, last thing, not really related to Keynote, um, but we did get a uh, an email from Arthur. Uh, he said he's going through the back catalog. Oh, I feel bad for these people who are going through the back catalog and say that they've, they've been listening to us for hours and hours on end. Um, but uh, I think he's going back to the uh, backup episodes. And he said one thing that still hasn't been said, and he said at least at this point, he's still in 2009. So maybe we did say it, but who knows? It's worth saying again. Uh, is the importance of migrating your files over to newer media when newer media becomes available. He said, I can attest to the importance of this since I have a lot of three and a half inch floppies and data files that I'd like to transition to bring them up to date. Yeah, that ship might have sailed already. I don't know. However, there's more. It's not simply enough to put the files on new media, but if you don't update that file to work with the newer versions of the programs that created that file, you've lost that data as well. And he was talking about how he's got this issue with HyperCard right now. Uh, and the same applies to PageMaker. PageMaker doesn't exist anymore. So, um, yeah. Um, we talked about this, I think, a little bit in our word processing file when we were talking. You know, the one that I see pop up all the time still that a lot of people send, tend to use with older Macs is AppleWorks. Um, and it's getting harder to convert those files. Yeah, and some of them are on media that you can't even get access to anymore. Yeah. The, uh, we heard from David, uh, I'm sorry, we heard from Norman, uh, who's talking about a Keynote film class. He's, a, uh, I guess, a film instructor at USC, and he uses Keynote to run film clips for his class, which was kind of what I was talking about, saying that you, know, you could string together movies. Uh, first of all, I think it's just really cool that anyone from USC Film School listens to our podcast. And secondly, I'm even more impressed that, you know, they're using Apple technology to make the next George Lucas. So <laughs> I'm happy about that. Uh, we also heard from Philosopher Dog uh, talking about Quicksilver and back, going back to our Quicksilver uh, episode when we talked about LaunchBar. And he said that Quicksilver's got more stable, but I've got so accustomed to LaunchBar that I probably am not even going to go back and try it until I get really motivated. Right. Okay, so we had some great feedback, and uh, I think we've got through our show. Uh, what's next, Katie? Next, well, next, I am going to Blog World. 
So I think as soon as I get back, we are going to do a show on, oh, I'm going iPad only. This will be my first trip without the Mac. And I know you just did, was it a, a little over a week in Canada? iPad yeah, only? I did eight, eight days in Canada, which is my iPad. Yeah. No problem. And I wrote a book while I was there. You did. <laughs> yeah, so, I worked on the book while I was there. I did about, I think about seven or 8,000 words that week. So you can do it. You can do it. So what are we going to call this? Are we going to, it's going to be traveling with the iPad or, but it's basically going to be kind of our using the iPad in lieu of a computer episode. Naked iPad, nothing else, just the iPad. Oh my gosh. Nope. The, uh, the Google foo we'll get from that. Yeah, that's true. Maybe we better not name it that. Maybe we'll, we'll, we'll work on the naming between now and then. Yeah, anyway, so we're going to talk about traveling with your iPad or just, you know, getting away without a Mac and seeing how far you can go with the iPad. And I'm looking forward to that episode. We both have some nice ideas and uh, and app recommendations. In the meantime, how can you get a hold of us? Well, uh, you can always uh, visit our website where you can find links to everything we talked about today, and that is at www.macpowerusers.com. You can also send us feedback by email, and the address is feedback at MacPowerUsers.com, and that'll come to both of us. We're also on Twitter, twitter.com slash MacPowerUsers. And Katie, what's your Twitter account? I'm Katie Floyd, K-A-T-I-E-F-L-O-Y-D. And I'm Max Sparky. And we also have a Google Voice account if you want to leave a message. It's uh, 706-457-6937. That's 706-45-POWER. And that's how all those other, vo- oh, that's how a lot of those voice messages got into the show today. So that's a great way if you want to leave us audio feedback for future, maybe future Q&A episodes. Let us know how you guys like those Q&A episodes, um, if that's something you want us to continue. And as always, we love iTunes comments. They're a great way for our show to get noticed for new listeners like Arthur to find our show. Uh, so if you've got a few minutes, hop over to iTunes and uh, leave us a comment. More comments means more viewers, and more viewers means more fun things we can do with the show. So thank you. And again, thanks to Smile Software, 1Password, and Naval Labs for supporting the Mac Power users. We'll see you next time.